Hey, everybody, and welcome in to another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm sports columnist Ben Fredrickson, joined, as always, by our Mizzou beat writer Dave Matter to break down this week in Missouri athletics, talking Tigers football this week as the Tigers are 0-1 after a uh, tough season opener at home against Alabama. They're headed to Knoxville, Tennessee on Saturday to play play the Vols. Um, they're, they're now ranked 21st in the country. We'll get into that matchup, reflect a little bit on last week, and I'll also get Dave Matter's most interesting SEC game of the week. Um, plenty to discuss now with SEC football back in full swing, Dave. Um, I kind of just wanted to start with this. Um, you and I were both there on Saturday um, covering, tennis, covering Missouri's loss to, uh, to Alabama, and you said as we started this podcast that based off the kind of the reaction, the vibe in your chat this week at stltoday.com that Missouri fans are uh, they're in a good place. They, 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 were, they were pleased with the product that they saw on the field in Eli Drinkwitz's coaching debut, considering it came against probably the best team in the country in Alabama. Yeah, I think, I think people are bought in. Um, you know, I think they're, they're looking at that final score and they're looking at the fourth quarter. Uh, even though Alabama probably took its foot off the gas to some degree, although they did, I looked at the snap counts. They left a lot of their starters in for the whole game, or at least most of that fourth quarter. Uh, and, and they saw that Missouri, they didn't make a game of it by any means. It was 35 to three at one point, but as Jeremy Pruitt said this week, uh, and I'm sure he's putting a little spin on this. Missouri dominated the second half is how he said it. He said, he's not sure that a team has ever held, a Nick Saban Alabama team to 95 yards or less in the second half of a game. Now, I'm not sure he looked up all 14 years worth of Nick Saban's box scores, and frankly, I didn't either. But, you know, that, that's what you have to tell your team uh, when you're getting ready for uh, a game like this one. But, yeah, we saw plenty of good things. You, you wrote about it Sunday's paper. I've touched on it this week. Um, the things that Missouri struggled with, we expected them to struggle with. Most teams are going to struggle with against Alabama. You know, we talked to Nick, Wal Nick, Nick Ryan Walters, Missouri's uh, uh, defensive coordinator last night, and he, uh, he's like, I'm not going to freak out over the results of this game. That was arguably the best offense in the country, and I liked a lot of things that I saw. So um, I think you just – that game required a lot of perspective. And it, just based on the fan feedback I've gotten in my chat and on social media, uh, I, I think people feel really good about – the rest of this season. So we'll see. Yeah, I think there were some things that maybe Missouri fans had gotten used to seeing in, in previous season openers that were frustrating. You know, I mean, you go back and look at, there've been times when tackling was an issue, um, you know, bro broken assignments, broken plays, things of that nature. We didn't see a lot of that in, in that game against Alabama. Now we saw an Alabama team that clearly had more talent and better players. They were bigger, faster, stronger in all, all phases. And it showed from from the start, but the, the they did have to earn those those points. And Missouri didn't have a lot of self-inflicted wounds, which had been a problem for the Tigers um, as things kind of unraveled under Barry Odom. Not a lot of penalties for Eli Drinkwitz's debut, and I, I think those are building blocks. Those are signs of a coach, a, a team that's well coached, and and a team that's bought in. I love the the vibe that you saw on the sideline in the second half. You're getting beat. You're getting thumped pretty good. Um, guys are supporting their teammates. Guys are fired up when the, you know, Connor Basilek scores that, that touchdown on the final play of the game. Um, and, and that's, those are good signs. Those, there aren't stats for that, but I think that's encouraging. So they will try to get a more manageable opponent uh, in Tennessee. And, and I want to talk about the Vols here in a bit because they probably had a, 
a season opener that left some fans in Knoxville going, I don't love that. And it was after a win, a conference win, which all games are this year. So we'll dig into that in a bit. But first of all, let's talk some quarterbacks. Um, We saw Sean Robinson get the start for Mizzou. Really nice completion percentage. We didn't really see him air it out. He's mobile. He can run. He admitted that he tried to maybe times make too much out of certain plays. You know, he had a bad pitch, turned into a fumble. He, uh, he, he needs to throw the ball away more often and not take as many sacks. We also oft, also saw Basilak, who I thought, from what we saw, had the better deep ball. We didn't see a lot of deep balls in this game. Yeah. Um, and he looked a little more comfortable running as things went on. Drinkwitz is going to continue to play them both, it sounds like. What do you make of where the quarterback situation stands entering week two? Yeah, it's interesting. I thought he was pretty honest, uh, assuming he's telling the truth, that the reason he wants to play both is COVID-related because they don't want to get into a situation where it's it's Thursday or Friday and one of them tests positive or one of them is a close contact and has to go into quarantine. And then all of a sudden you have to play an untested quarterback. So he wants both of them to get live game experience against SEC teams. Uh, just in case the worst case scenario unfolds. I think that's smart. And I also think it reflects that there's not a huge separation between the two. Now, you look at the snaps in the first game, Tom, uh, Sean Robinson's obviously the starter. He was in that game, and and he's the quarterback. Um, He played every series except for two, and he did do some good things. Uh, I'll be curious to see if it's the same thing going forward in Knoxville. You know, they continue to list them as or starters, and – I don't know. I, I think maybe that – does that do a disservice to Robinson a little bit? Because I hear from a lot of fans that on my chat this week was like, um, you know, Basilak passes the eye test. He's the one that has to play. And I'm, I'm not sure what that, that's based on. Like one, one series at the end of a game, he did the same thing at Georgia last year, um, didn't score. And, some, it, you know, sometimes it's just the syndrome of being the backup quarterback after a losing game where that guy always looks better because, well, he hasn't done it as much. He hasn't failed as much. But I thought Robinson did some good things. You know, his the completion percentage, I looked up his quarterback rating for the game. It was it wasn't elite, pretty good. There's only like five guys in the last five years who have been better against Alabama. Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, and um, somebody last year were better. Uh, Joe Burrow. Those guys are pretty good. So he his production against that defense when you kind of have to grade on a curve, I thought it was pretty good. Now he made those two bad mistakes, but they were also plays where he was trying to make a play. So I don't, you fault him for making a bad choice, but you can make a lot worse mistakes out there. And also if Daniel Parker can catch the ball in the flat, he runs in and scores. And on the next play, you don't give up that deep sack on third down. So sometimes it's all kind of relative to what happens in the game. Great point. And, and here, here's another one. People forget this. He hadn't played a game in more than a year. I mean, yeah, two years close to. Everybody knows that he sat out last year, but when you think of in terms of when's the last time he actually played in a football game, a college football game, and then the first time you go out is against Alabama. That's like not yeah. running, not exercising for a year, and then go. I'll just sign up for this ultra marathon. And yeah. <laughs> I, I was really impressed with his toughness, um, Dave. Yeah. He got hit a lot. He got up, popped up with a bounce in his step. You didn't see him barking at his offensive line, who struggled at times. Um, I think uh, I think Missouri's got a tough quarterback, and uh, let's see what he can do against a more manageable defense moving forward. Um, I want to get in now to, to, to a little bit about Tennessee, but first I want to give the listeners a chance to hear from our sponsor who makes this podcast possible. Okay, Dave, let's talk Tennessee. Um, the volunteers were 
highly, you know, hyped headed into this season as usual. That seems to be yeah. what happens around Tennessee. Usually you and I are the ones saying, hey, maybe pull back on the balls a little bit. This year I was actually saying, no, I think, I think they're going to be pretty good. And they still could be. They're one to know they beat South Carolina. But they are dropped now to 21 of the rankings because they didn't beat South Carolina all that convincingly. And there are Big Ten teams in the rankings. But the way that game started in, 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 against South Carolina, Tennessee fans were on the edge of their seat and they didn't really get off it over the course of that game against a Gamecocks team that isn't expected to be all that powerful this year. Yeah, they, uh, you know, they, they scored late. They had a really quick drive to take the lead. They broke a tie in the fourth quarter and they gave up a field goal then. Had the ball with a chance to kind of clinch it and they had to punt. And fortunately for Tennessee, South Carolina fumbled the punt. Tennessee took over with about two minutes left and, and able to run out the clock. So um, what stood out to me was that's their third consecutive SEC road win, and they're all by four points. It, that's hard to do. I mean, it, it takes something to be able to do that. And those games were at Kentucky last year. We knew Kentucky was pretty good. They won eight games. One of those was at Missouri. And then this game at South Carolina. So what they've kind of figured out to do, and I, I wrote this today, is – they've figured out how to beat the bad teams. And that's, that's part of building a program. Um, you know, th that Kentucky team last year was, was decent. They beat a, like a nine-win UAB team. They beat Indiana in their bowl game. They needed kind of a miracle late to win that game. But it's not like they're going out and beating Georgia or Alabama yet. But they are squarely in that middle class in the SEC East, maybe for the whole SEC, and they're right near the top of that. Figuring out how to win games is hard. That's part of building a program and I give Jeremy Pruitt and his staff some credit for figuring that out because before that they were just figuring out ways to lose games now they're figuring out ways to win games that's the next step that's frankly that's the step that Barry Odom's teams couldn't take they were they were not winning the games that they were supposed to win and now right now Tennessee is the next step then is beating Florida or Georgia which they haven't done I don't think since 2016 so they're they're a few steps ahead of Missouri's program right now. That doesn't mean this can't be a close competitive game or Missouri can't win, but program-wise, they're just a little bit further ahead. When you – do you think people are were maybe short-selling South Carolina, or do you think this was an example of Tennessee, you know, maybe kind of like all teams kind of trying to figure out what exactly they're going to look like this year? I mean, the first week is hard to analyze always. Yeah. It's even harder to analyze now with um, so much – uh, COVID unknown and, and how it's affected teams moving into the season. What did you make of, of the outcome of that game? I think Tennessee even benefited from the scoring and defensive touchdown, which, which, you know, they yeah. really needed in that game as well, which those are pretty rare. Um, do you think the, the Vols are overranked? Do you think South Carolina is better than you thought? Or do you think you just kind of throw this one out with the water, with the bathwater and say they found a way to get a win? Yeah, I kind of, that's kind of where I'm leaning. I don't think South Carolina is very good, but it's still hard to win on the road in, in the SEC anywhere. Um, I, you know, it wasn't a pretty win. I mean, Tennessee, I think, was one of 11 on third down. And uh, they didn't really turn the ball over much. I don't sure if they did at all. They might have had a fumble there um, or an interception. But they just, they just figured out a way to get it done. And the weird thing, when I thought about last year's Missouri game, I, you kind of think of that game and you thought, man, that was a blowout because Jared Garantano threw for like 415 yards and was just shredding Missouri. It was a 24-20 game. I mean, Missouri was right there. They could have won that game. But, again, Tennessee has just kind of figured out how to win close games, and um, that's kind of their M.O. right now. And, uh, you know, you, part of that's having a veteran quarterback. I mean, I, I, uh, I think about Garantano, and even Ryan Walter said this week, it seems like he's been there forever. 
No. His third game against Missouri. Somehow he missed the Missouri game his freshman year. He he played the game before and the game after, but he was hurt for that game. But I, I was on radio in Tennessee this week with – they asked me about Larry Roundtree, and they said, man, it seems like Roundtree's been at Missouri forever. I'm like, well, it seems like Garantano's been at Tennessee forever too. He's just right. <laughs> coming back every year. But that veteran quarterback, I mean, he's not the best in the league, but he's played a lot of SEC ball, so he knows what to do in, in those situations. Um, looking at what you think Missouri will try to do against Tennessee, we did hear some things from Drinkwitz after the Alabama loss, and, and I'll give him credit for this. Um, I didn't love this week that he decided to be the media czar and try to weigh in on what questions he, we should be asking him or his players. Um, so I'll say that, but I'll also give him credit on this. I, I think he did a very good job of saying, you know, after the game of, of – seeing, addressing, and sharing what he thought the team should have maybe done differently in real time. So often we hear coaches who either won't go there or can't right after a game. And I thought we heard him say some things that, that he had determined he, he would have changed a little bit. One was getting Larry Roundtree more involved earlier in the game. He said they need to feed him more. And, and I, think that, uh, I think that was something we were talking about in the second half. I was like, man, they're really moving north-south now. And Larry Roundtree's averaging like five yards a carry. Maybe he should have been a bigger part of the game plan earlier. Drinkwitz said that. The other thing he mentioned was uh, no, no, no shots downfield. Now, some of that's going to be quarterback related. The other part is you're, you're playing against an Alabama defensive line that was getting to Sean Robinson quickly uh, more times than not. Um, what do you think could, we could see from Missouri's offense that we didn't see in game one? Perhaps Larry Roundtree more focus in the beginning on, on getting him established. But do you think we'll see maybe a more vertical attack or at least an attempt to get some of these receivers involved that we, we've heard a lot about, Kiki Chisholm being one who really wasn't a factor on Saturday. Yeah, you know, you could. I mean, it's um, Alabama's got some pretty good cornerbacks, and they can lock you down, you know, pretty easily. And then you, you add in their pass rush. Um, although, you know, Tennessee's got an outside linebacker, DeAndre Johnson, who had, I think, had three sacks in that South Carolina game. So they're going to have to figure out a way to block him. I think your, your natural assumption is that your offensive line you know, especially those guys that weren't very tested going into the game will play better in week two. I, I did think they settled down okay in the in the Alabama game. I mean, that, like you said, they were able to run north-south. They were able to get um, – they were able to get Roundtree, you know, some positive yards there. And, and you know, they weren't under pressure constantly, or at least uh, the, the quarterbacks weren't. So they, they made some progress during the course of the game, I thought. I thought the right side held up better than the left. That's to be expected because those guys have played a lot more college football. So, um, yeah, I, I think you – this is a more, more, more mortal team than Alabama on both sides of the ball. I mean, Tennessee's got some good players, but not necessarily a whole stack of players that are going to be playing on Sundays next year. So, um, yeah, I, I think you, you'll have more time in the pocket, ideally, and um, maybe some of those deeper throws, you know, you, you put in the, the game plan because you just expect them to be there. Uh, or, or maybe that's really not part of what the MO of this offense is going to be. Maybe it's going to be more – you know, getting the slot guys involved in space and trying to get them to get one block and make a play like Jalen Knox, which we saw the other night. That was a real positive. Getting Tyler Beatty out in space. They threw that wheel route to him that went for a touchdown that I thought was designed really well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a team that's going to have to scheme its way to some points, especially when you're behind an offensive line that, you know, isn't exactly all SEC caliber right now. I feel like Jalen Knox kind of got lost last season, and I don't yeah. think that's going to be a problem this season without their, without their using them. So that's definitely one of the another plus that we can add um, from what we saw out of the offense on on, on Saturday. 
Um, Dave, I know this could change and it's going to change by the day, but where do things stand now? Um, we're recording this on a, a Thursday morning. I'm in San Diego, so I've got to make sure I got the day right here um, <laughs> for some our Cardinals postseason. But um, Thursday morning, where do things stand health-wise in terms of COVID, um, what we know, but also injuries. There were some guys who were banged up on uh, on Saturday. You know, the latest update as of today that we've gotten from Drinkwitz um, was what he said on Tuesday and that they had no positive cases on Sunday, nothing additional. We saw the team that they had on the field Saturday night. And, you know, first thing I did was just get the roster out and I went player by player. and Didn't really find anybody of impact that was missing. Now they've had some opt out since then, some backup players, scholarship guys that probably would have seen the field in some capacity. Um, but really it's more, it was more walk-ons. Uh, there was a freshman backup center and I'm not going to say that Drake Heismeyer necessarily has COVID, but he wasn't on the field. So we can only draw so many conclusions. We do know that Charlie Harbison, the uh, defensive backs coach, is out again this week uh, for COVID-related reasons, what the team is saying. Now, Drinkwitz was talking this week, and he said that when he found out one of his assistant coaches tested positive, so he might have spilled the beans there a little bit. Either way, they're not going to have him out there again. Um, so we'll see. They had more testing this week. He does his radio show tonight. I don't know if he'll share that much. He did – I'll say this much COVID-wise – he really expressed some frustration on Wednesday on the SEC conference call that there's no uniform reporting policy in the SEC. And he flat out said it's a free-for-all. And what he's talking about is how he's being transparent and forthright with, with this stuff as far as numbers go, and the other coaches aren't. Not all of them aren't. And he's clearly frustrated by that. So does that mean he's going to stop being transparent? I, I don't know. He, he seemed to make a point that it, the greater good is to share that information because it's a health, public health issue not because it's a football X's and O's advantage type thing. So uh, he's, he's clearly frustrated. I think he'd like to see everybody doing it the same way. I don't think he's going to get that wish. Uh, we know the Tennessee's depth chart was just ransacked this summer with quarantines, not necessarily positive cases. So they've been through it already. Um, and, and, you know, Pruitt this week, he didn't really, he was pretty vague on, on their COVID cases. So I'd, I don't know if we're going to see a bunch of guys missing it. At this point, there's no reason to really think we will. Well, that's uh, that that is that is good news. So hopefully, college football continues and the SEC to 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 plow ahead here and and guys uh, guys stay healthy and the ones who have to be out get back soon. Um, Dave, hey, we we got to remind folks that they can find the podcast stltoday.com/podcast. Go to iTunes, um, Google, whatever you're using for your podcast needs, you can find us there. I on the Tigers podcast um, or check out all the post-dispatch podcasts at stltoday.com slash podcast. Um, this is kind of going to be the segment that we end each week with. And I got to ding you. I got to ding you, Dave. I got to give you a negative review on your first uh, pick for most interesting SEC game to watch of the weekend. Yeah. I think you picked Auburn, Kentucky. We both thought Kentucky was going to win that game. We both got that wrong. And we blew it on most interesting game because I don't know why we didn't think to pick Mike Leach's debut as the head coach of Mississippi State. Obviously stunning um, defending national champion LSU, the Pirate. Um, I think Pirate uh, pirate eye patches went up like 50% on Amazon. People are in Starkville are starting to walk around on, on wooden legs out of choice. Um, pirate Nation is, is alive and well. Is Mike Leach going to do this again? Go to a school where nobody thinks he can win and and turn them into a, a legitimate contender in a short amount of time? They, they looked like one on Saturday. I mean, yeah. just move the ball effortlessly. Can we finally stop saying that 
whoa, can this offense work in the SEC? I mean, come on. Like, other teams have <laughs> run spread offense. I mean, come on. Of course it can work. And it, it might work better than ever because you can get some elite athletes in those SEC footprint states that he hasn't had the luxury of having before. So, um, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing on Mike Leach, though, is just when you think that he's got a team that's going to compete for championships, which they usually don't, they get beat by somebody that you expect them to, to beat. Now, they play Arkansas this week, but I don't know if Barry Odom's defense is going to get a <laughs> be able to stop the, uh, the pirate this week but yeah man I mean we should have seen that coming with Mike Leach going to Death Valley taking out the defending champs and it was it was surgical man they just they just shredded that defense I uh <laughs> it's just so in hindsight it's predictable because of course Mike Leach is going to make a uh, make a splash in, in his debut and he's got one up on Lane on, on Lane Kiffin there with uh yeah. with Ole Miss not being able to to win its season opener. I'm curious how LSU bounces back now, knowing that their chance of defending their national championship is likely over one week into its season. Um, that's actually a, you know, the, they, they're a 20 and a half point favorite against Vanderbilt. I bet Vanderbilt covers that game, covers that spread on Saturday after, after LSU's kind of trying to find some motivation here um, after, uh, after going from that high, high to being 0 and one after after game one, that will not be, I don't think your pick for most interesting game. I have a guess as to, as to what it might be, but uh, what do you, what do you, if you have to tell an SEC fan to not miss one game on the DVR this week, which one are you picking? Oh, it's gotta be Auburn at Georgia. I mean, you know, one of these teams, you've got two top 10 teams. Georgia was not exactly um, captivating last week at Arkansas. I mean, it took them a while to get going. Now they do get their transfer quarterback uh, cleared this week, JT Daniels from USC. I, I don't know if he's going to be the answer. It seems like Kirby Smart always has some kind of quarterback issues there. But uh, going up against Gus Malzahn, whose team was impressive against Kentucky um, and, and just held him off, and Bo Nix kind of continuing to look good like he did last year. Uh, this is like one of the oldest rivalries in the SEC. It might be the most played rivalry in all the SEC if I have my history right. So, yeah, this is a good game. If somebody's going to really establish themselves as a top five team, somebody else is going to, um, you know, kind of be on the outside looking in. But the, this looks like it, it could be a, a really good game. It's the uh, primetime game on ESPN Saturday night. That's the big one. And, uh, yeah, that's the one to watch. So it'll be uh, – it'll be. we'll see if we can redeem ourselves with our most interesting game. Um, and I think it's going to be an interesting game in Knoxville, Dave. You're going to be on the road covering Missouri in Knoxville. Um, and you'll have full coverage at stlsa.com. I'm here in San Diego for now. We'll see if this goes to uh, goes to Texas or uh, or back home to St. Louis. But uh, it seems more like Texas is kind of the way the vibe out here in San Diego. So Dave, we'll be uh, we'll be in different places, but we'll keep the podcast rolling week by week here as the Tigers continue this tough schedule and uh, keep the great coverage up. Travel safe, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, man. Sounds good. All right, Dave. That will do it. I'm Ben. That's Dave. Make sure you find the podcast at stltoday.com slash podcast. Just search for I on the Tigers podcast, and we'll see you next week. Have a good weekend, everybody.